1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including Bob Levy. He's going to be our guest. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the Supreme Court, Colorado Supreme Court's ruling on Trump's candidacy on the presidential ballot. We'll also visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, an author of Josephus Savaz. Andy will be joining us as well. It is uh, December the 20th and on this day in 1957, while spending Christmas holidays at Graceland, his newly purchased Tennessee mansion rock and roll star Elvis Presley received his draft notice from the United States Army. He, of course, had a suggestive style. One writer called him Elvis the Pelvis. <laughs> A hit movie, Love Me Tender, and a string of gold records, including Heartbreak Hotel, Blue Suede Shoes, Hound Dog, and Don't Be Cruel, Uh, Presley had become a national icon and the world's first bona fide rock and roll star by the end of 1956. As the Beatles' John Lennon once famously remarked, before Elvis, there was nothing. The following year, at the peak of his career, Preston received his draft notice for a two-year stint in the Army. Fans sent tens of thousands of letters to the Army, asking for him to be spared, but Elvis would have none of it. He received one deferment, during which he finished his working on his movie King Creole before being sworn in as an Army private in Memphis on March 24, 1958. After basic training, which included emergency leave to his uh, beloved mother Gladys before she died in August of 1958, Presley sailed to Europe on the USS General Randall. For the next 18 months, he served in a company D, 32nd Tank Battalion, 3rd Army Division in Friedberg, Germany, and where he attained the rank of sergeant. For the rest of his service, he shared an off-base residence with his father, grandmother, and some Memphis friends. After working during the day, Presley returned home at night to host frequent parties and impromptu jam sessions. At one of these parties, the Army buddy of Presley's introduced him to 14-year-old Priscilla Bullio, whom uh, Elvis would uh, marry some years later. Meanwhile, Presley's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, continued to release singles, uh, records before he his departure keeping the money rolling in and his most famous client fresh in the public mind story of elvis Presley going in the army uh, he wanted not, he wanted to go in the army he was going to serve for his country elvis Presley well u.s stock uh, markets yesterday closed higher about a half a percent with s p 500 just 0.6 percent away from surpassing its record close in january 2022 Construction of new homes in the United States rose 14.8% in November compared to the previous month, marking the highest monthly growth rate since May. I wonder if that has anything to do with interest rates coming down. I suspect it does, making mortgages more affordable. Well, this is the big story. The Colorado Supreme Court on Tuesday ruled that former President Donald Trump participated in an insurrection against the United States as part of the January 6, 2021 U.S. Capitol riots and is ineligible to appear on the 2024 Republican presidential primary ballot. The embattled former president is currently facing a mountain of lawsuits from various states aiming to disqualify him from the next year's primary and presidential ballots. The lawsuits have specifically argued he is ineligible to run again under a clause in the 14th Amendment that prohibits those who participated in an insurrection against the United States government from holding high office. The Colorado Supreme Court decided to hear the case earlier this month after the lower court U.S. District Court federal judge ruled that Trump engaged in an insurrection by inciting the January 6th riot. Still, the judge allowed the former president to remain on the primary ballot because the court asserted that the 14th Amendment was not applicable to the commander-in-chief. And, uh, in fact, it isn't, but uh, we continue. Uh, Tuesday's Colorado Supreme Court ruling makes the state the first in the nation to remove Trump from the ballot, a decision that's certain to stir up a major battle in the Supreme Court. To that end, the Colorado Supreme Court has stayed its ruling until January the 4th, since the U.S. Supreme Court returns from co- for conference on January the 5th. But this does not necessarily mean Trump will not appear on the ballot in the Rocky Mountain State. The former president could remain on Colorado's ballot if he appeals the state Supreme Court ruling. If Trump asks the U.S. Supreme Court to step down, step in by January 4th, the decision will remain paused, according to the attorney, Mike Davis. This means Trump would almost certainly remain on the state's primary ballot on March the 5th, and he told the National News Network. Now, as a consequence of all this, uh, Ramaswamy has said that he's not going to run. He wants his name taken off the ballot. The GOP says they want to cancel the primary election and have a caucus like they do in Iowa. Nevertheless, though, uh, and this is an important story, too. This relates Republican presidential candidate Vivek. Ramaswamy, at a CNN town hall event last Wednesday, explained why he once thought it was conspiracy nonsense that January 6th was entrapment, but now has changed his mind. Ramaswamy and co-moderator CNN host Abby Phillip spoke over uh, each other several times, with the presidential candidate reminding her several times that she would be uncomfortable because the establishment does not approve of this message. I want to tell you guys where I'm at, Ramaswamy said. If you told me, it's close to three years ago that January 6, 2021 happened. If you told me back then when I was a biotech CEO, not steeped in the world, I was consuming passive media but was focused on my world of developing medicines. If you told me January 6 was in any way an inside job, the subject of government entrapment, I would have told you that that was crazy talk, fringe conspiracy theory nonsense. I can tell you I've gone through somewhat deep into this, and it's not, Ramaswamy continued. The reality is we do have a government that is, is, has knowledge of, the, of that and lied to us systematically over the last several years about the origin of COVID-19, about Hunter Biden's laptop. We were told it was false by 51 uh, CIA experts, and otherwise before that we now know it was true. You go straight down the list and uh, the Trump-Russia disinformation collusion hoax, all of it. Now we come to January 6th. The reality is we know that there were several federal law enforcement agents in the field. We don't know how many, he said. I'm not going to get ahead of an you here, on CNN- Phillips said, because the establishment does not approve of this message, he shot back. You're saying there were federal agents, Phillips said. This is important to talk about, Ramaswamy said into applause. There's no evidence that there were federal agents in the crowd on January the 6th, Phillips said. So why, before Congress was pressed on this, was the number was, uh, they didn't say there were none. They simply said they didn't know how many, Ramaswamy responded. So you're saying you have not seen evidence that there were, and so you assume there were, Phillips followed up. We've seen multiple informants suggesting there were. We know people who uh, were FBI informants who were asked, he said before being interrupted. May I just finish, he said, because I know this is very uncomfortable for you. I know this is an uncomfortable issue for many people who have uh, to do, do the truth here, Ramaswamy said to applause. Where's the evidence that January 6th had a plot, an inside job, to foment violence on January the 6th, she asked. No, I didn't say it was an inside job. I, I'm not going to let you put words in my mouth, and I'm not going to uh, let you tell me what, I'm, what I mean, he said. Entrapment, Ramaswamy followed up. Where's the evidence the government was involved in planning or executing January 6th? Where's the evidence, Philip said. I can't believe she's asking this question. It's all around us. I'm going to give you the hard facts, Ramaswamy responded, and if I may, Abby, I know this is going to be a little uncomfortable, but we're going to go through this, and you can push back, let's do this fairly, why did they suppress footage of now what's been uh, released for the January 6th uh, footage? Ramaswamy also broke up, uh, brought up Gretchen Whitmer's kidnapping case that included federal agents encouraging crime that resulted in no convictions. Ramaswamy noted that after the trial, a juror apologized to one of the defendants for what the government had put him through. The government cannot put you up to something and then charge you for it, Ramaswamy declared. And this is, this is important. In an ex-post on Thursday, former U.S. Capitol Police Lieutenant Tariq Johnson said that he had been uh, stating publicly that January 6th was not an insurrection. Now, this is the Capitol Police Lieutenant. but This was not an insurrection, but many people would not listen. Not many people would listen, he said, reflecting on Vivek Ramaswamy's comments during the CNN town hall. Vivek Ramaswamy got a lot right here in this interview, Johnson began. I've been saying publicly for a year that J6 was not an insurrection, but not many people would listen. Well, There's a lot of evidence to that fact. Why would the January 6th uh, panel, including uh, just Democrats, of course, except for uh, what's her name? Anyhow, uh, not, <clears throat> the, the whole thing has been a show trial. The whole thing has uh, uh, been uh, manufactured, quite frankly. And one congressman said there is at least two busloads of FBI agents and informants who were there dressed in uh in uh, Trump gear and uh, hats and so forth that were all part of this whole process on January the 6th? And why did, for example, uh, uh, the uh, mayor of uh, Washington, D.C., Mayor Blauser and uh, uh, the uh, House Majority Leader not allow troops, U.S. troops, to come in and uh, keep the peace during January 6th? It was a setup, no question in my mind. So we're going to talk to Bob Levy about this here in just a few minutes, about uh, the legality of all the things that are going on. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan of Ohio, Ohio on Tuesday issued a subpoena to Attorney General Merrick Garland demanding that he provide information on the DOJ's spying on congressional employees. In October this year, Just the News reported that the current and former congressional oversight staff were notified that the DOJ had seized their phone and email records in 2017 while investigating leaks. The belated notification came due to the government convincing a federal court to hide the communication seizure for five years. Among those who had uh, their records seized were at least a dozen members of Congress from both parties and or their staff. The revelations uh, prompted furor from congressional Republicans who the same month uh, demanded that DOJ explain itself. In the subpoena issued Tuesday, Jordan acknowledged that the DOJ had replied to his request, but albeit not to his satisfaction. So uh, in his letter to the committee, the department represented that the legal process used which reportedly sought to the private communications of both Republican and Democrat employees, both in the House and Senate, were related to one investigation into unauthorized disclosure of classified information in a national media publication, Jordan wrote. According to news reports, the investigation centered on FISA warrants obtained by the Justice Department on former President Trump campaign associate Carter Page. At the time, the FISA warrant on Mr. Page was the subject of robust congressional oversight and vigorous debate in Congress. So this, just think about this. What this involves is uh, the Department of Justice spying on the oversight on the group that's supposed to oversee uh, their activities in the executive department. This is against, uh, the again, the Department of Justice, the FBI, CIA, in my opinion, have all been weaponized now and used against the American people, not supporting the American people. And it's it's a shame. We need to get ourselves out of this. I'm beginning to think Donald uh, J. Trump might be one of the last hopes that we have. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com and give them a call. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting Network. Bee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubee's.com and stop by Bee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m. Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Bee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Bee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. 4541
0: welcome back to the Bob Harton show and now here's your host Bob Harton
1: thanks so much for joining us here on the show we're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility limited government and the rule of of Law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. Cato.org on the web.
1: Terrific organization. I hope you check out the website, Cato.org. So, Bob, uh, the Supreme, Colorado Supreme Court ruled on Tuesday that Trump must be disqualified in the state's presidential ballot, and even in the primaries. So I uh, want to get your thoughts on this. What is the alleged constitutional basis for disqualifying Trump on the ballot?
3: This is uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It says that no person shall hold any office under the United States who shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid and comfort to the enemies thereof. So the scholarly support for this uh, comes from a 126-page law review article that's not been published yet. It's scheduled to appear uh, next year in the University of Pennsylvania uh, Law School. And the the authors focus on a combination of Trump's acts that... They say, taken in the aggregate, uh, rise to the level of engaging in insurrection, which, if true, uh, would disqualify him under the 14th Amendment.
1: So what's the basis for asserting that Trump engaged in insurrection?
3: Again, taking from the article, uh, the specific infractions were um, sixfold. (laughs) First, dishonest attempts to set aside valid state election results with uh, false claims of voter fraud. Second, attempted subversion of the constitutional processes for states' selection of electors. Third, uh, efforts to have Mike Pence unconstitutionally claim a power to refuse to count certified uh, electoral votes. Fourth, efforts to have Congress reject votes lawfully cast. Fifth, incitement of a mob that attempted to forcibly prevent the counting of lawfully cast votes, and finally, deliberate inaction uh, during the January 6th attack, despite uh, his having the duty and capacity to suppress uh, the insurrection. So those are the charges.
1: So those are the charges. uh, And who's making these charges?
3: This is the charges that are set out in the article that is the basis ah. for the litigation that's occurring in Colorado and elsewhere, other states as well.
1: Well, I don't want to take us off track, but frankly, I think most of those, if not all of those assertions, could be challenged. So, yeah, uh,
3: well, they, they are being challenged, of course, and some of the states have said, no, that ain't the case. Uh, Colorado said, yes, that is the case.
1: Okay, so so Trump was neither indicted nor impeached for engaging in insurrection. So how can he be disqualified?
3: It is true uh, that he was not uh, indicted for engaging in insurrection, but bear in mind that a majority of the House approved, um, with a substantial majority, an impeachment article for incitement. And the Senate, they, it's true they didn't convict, because it required two-thirds, but a majority of the Senate did vote to convict for insurrection, uh, 57 to 43. So uh, the authors of this article note that the Constitution doesn't require a criminal conviction, nor does it require proof beyond reasonable doubt. So these are are not criminal charges. Mm. And moreover, there's no mistake uh, of insurrection. That is, It doesn't require an intent to engage in insurrection, Um, even if the actor, even if Trump wrongly believed that no insurrection would occur, that Mm -hmm. doesn't excuse him. So, you know, I think those are pretty good arguments. They are counterbalanced by the arguments of critics who emphasize that none of the acts cited by the authors taken one by one would likely justify disqualification. And disqualification, of course, raises even more powerful uh, political concerns and prudential concerns. Imagine the reaction among the public if Trump is, in fact, disqualified from running.
1: Yeah. So how do these cases reach the courts and who can sue?
3: Well, a state election official who's authorized by the state legislature to determine who's qualified to appear on a ballot could announce that Trump is ineligible, or for that matter, eligible. Mm -hmm. And that decision uh, can then be challenged in a state court by anybody who has standing. So certainly Trump can challenge uh, the decision, and he's in fact going to appeal this decision. Another candidate could challenge the decision, and it's possible that a state voter in some states' uh, standing requirements are pretty, uh, pretty loose. So the the challenge then ultimately makes its way to the U.S. Supreme Court if there's a split in the states, which there is right now. And ideally, uh, the state legislature would provide for an expedited timetable so the case could be resolved before the Republican Convention, which is in uh, July coming up. So all of that has occurred, and we'll see how it unfolds.
1: Absolutely. So how much authority do state courts have on disqualification under the 14th Amendment?
3: Well, the state would have to uh, have the authority to define what it means to engage in insurrection. Uh, And we don't know whether the U.S. Constitution gives the state that authority. And even if it does, what are the limits? I mean, the state can't just conjure up any definition of what uh, an insurrection is and by what legal standards, uh, once the state is decided, by what legal standards should the feds, uh, courts, determine that a state exceeded its uh, constitutional authority. We don't know the answers to those questions, but I think if a conservative Supreme Court, and bear in mind we have three uh, Trump appointees, if that court disqualifies Trump, that might influence a number of Republican voters, uh, but I don't mean to suggest that that's going to be the outcome.
1: Yeah, and the thing that concerns me is the knowledge of these uh, uh, jurors to actually understand what happened on January 6th. There's still evolving evidence and information that's coming out. And so it concerns me that, in fact, are they going to be aware of the true evidence that uh, uh, what happened on January
3: 6th? Yeah, I think this would uh, apply mostly to judges because these are not uh, jury jury trials.
1: Right. Well, I was referring to them as jurors, but judges is what I meant. So thank you for that. So uh, Trump was elected, not appointed, so he is an officer of the U.S. under the 14th Amendment. Is he? I mean, uh, you know, he's the commander chief He's not an officer.
3: Yes, yeah, some have argued, including former Attorney General Mukasey, that uh, only appointed and not elected persons are officers of the United States.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And
3: so if that's true, Trump would not be subject uh, to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I think it's an interesting argument, not a conclusive one. Uh, the term office of president or office of the president Is used a half-dozen times in the Constitution. So you would think that the holder of the office, if it's his office, that the holder must be an officer. And then you get these peculiar situations where President Nixon would not be an officer because he was elected, but his replacement, President Ford, uh, would be an officer because he was appointed. Uh, And ditto when, when Agnew, who was elected, was replaced by Ford as vice president, who was appointed. And Vice President Rockefeller was appointed uh, while his successor, Mondale, uh, was elected. So one would be an officer, one would not be. That's kind of strange. And a sitting president, as we know, if he's impeached and convicted, he can be disqualified for engaging in insurrection. So it's it's unusual that he would be disqualified as a sitting president, but he can't be disqualified for the same offense a day after he leaves. Uh, office. This is a literal form of textualism, and uh, it defies logic, in my view, and I, I think that uh, that constitutional structure and her history and purpose should probably govern. By the way, one other problem, and that is, li- read literally, the 14th Amendment bars, would bar, if again, if, if it's applied here, bar Trump of holding office. But what we're talking about is running for office. Uh-huh. So, can he run for office even though he can't hold office? That, too, is an interesting legal question that we don't know the answer to.
1: Well, and also just taking a step back from the legal issues here, what about the voice of the people? Don't they have a right to decide who they want to have serving yes, as their president? In,
3: indeed, that, that is a very serious and I think a question that the court probably will have to grope with.
1: Bob, this is such an interesting conversation. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. C-A-T-O dot org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Are you looking to buy or sell a home?
0: Come back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get some tickets to some great upcoming performances. Just visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. I really appreciate our interviews over the years, and uh, usually we're starting off with some good news. Do you have some good news for us?
2: I've got some good news. Let me start out with a quote today, which I've been trying to do for the past couple of weeks at least. A uh, quote by Noel Coward. He said, it is discouraging how many people are shocked by honesty and how few by deceit. Now, I think that has a lot of pertinence to modern America. You, know, you can say the most horrific things in America and get away with it, yet Uh, uh, penetrating honesty uh, receives the most significant pushback. I think, in fact, because it is honesty, and that is a a realization that those people who gain by dishonesty realize. So uh, I think it's a very pertinent quote quote as it pertains to America, Bob.
1: And you know what, Andy? I'm beginning to think and believe that dishonesty is more believable than honesty.
2: Well, I've talked about this in the past. There's a, an old essay from 1972 that I, I cite, which is called, Why Lies Are Better Than the Truth. And it's a, it's a fascinating article that comes from the, the old Playboy publications. And, and yet it lays out why, uh, for example, it says, as I remember it, it says, uh, Why Lies Are Better Than the Truth, because lies tend to be more believable than the truth mm-hmm. because they can be carefully constructed to, to, to make their point. Uh, so it's it's that kind of logic that I think is much in keeping with what you suggested,
1: Bob. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson, one of the complaints he has about mainstream media, he says there's always shiny objects. We're talking about things in the news that usually are the least important at the time. And uh, so there's there's a lot of deception going on.
2: Well, I think if we talk about the least important things, those those things tend to or have the potential to become the big things. It's right. you know it's these uh, moles that become mountains. It's uh, so it's not making them artificially into that, but they they do develop from small stories. It's almost like the the first story on Watergate. Back when I first heard the story, it was just uh, some tape has been found uh, on a on a door lock in the Watergate uh, complex. So that that was the first story, Bob, and then yeah. from that, of course, we eventually get the removal of a president of the United states so uh, these small stories have to be given uh, attention as they deserve without being uh over overreacting to them but yet i think they 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 in the long run they tend to matter a lot bob yeah,
1: and of course uh nixon was one of the most popularly elected presidents in the history of the united states so it's it is so interesting well
2: i, I think in his run against mcgovern in 1972 uh, i think he uh I think he carried all but one state, I think yeah. all but Massachusetts. So it was just an overwhelming electoral victory and popular vote victory by uh, by Nixon, and uh, it's still... Uh, Commonly cited that uh, that uh, Nixon was charged with uh, with criminal actions. He not, he, but that in terms of Watergate, he was not involved with the actual break-in. What he was uh, charged with, but not convicted of, uh, was essentially that he was defending those people, uh, protecting them. But he was not involved with the actual break-in. Yeah.
1: However, I do believe that some informants, FBI informants, or even players, were perhaps involved in the in the uh, Watergate break-in. So that's a whole different story. We can talk about it another uh, it's, time. It's
2: amazing how conversations can go in entirely different directions than I was planning, Bob. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> so uh, how about some good news for us?
2: Uh, good news story. Uh, coming out of Argentina, unfortunately, the Milai administration down in Argentina has told the rioters there uh, that they will, if, uh, they will lose their welfare benefits if they don't uh, stop this uh, rioting that's going on. Now, uh, I think those are the type of actions that are necessary if we're going to be serious about preventing street violence in this country. Uh, I'm not suggesting that exact move of, uh, by like but something of a similar nature. There has to be some serious response when there is violent street uh, street actions or actions that are, as they are now, uh, uh, demanding genocide for the Jews and, and, and so forth. Uh, so I think those those are Uh, positions that I like to see governments taking, uh, I'm restricted in that. I don't want it to be unlimited to what they they do, but essentially there has to be some pushback against these things. Uh, I think there was a recent pushback in New York City, actually, uh, as many of the illegal immigrants were complaining uh, about their accommodations and their food, the food was cold. The accommodations weren't good. <laughs> we don't like the uh, food. Can you believe that? Or it was windy, or some other variation. So they they essentially told them, "Well, you can leave. Uh, you can leave if you want." Uh, and they, of course, they refused to leave. It's similar, in my mind, to someone breaking into your house complaining about the food and the mattress they're sleeping on, and then refusing to leave because they have no place else to go. Uh, now, this is, a, in my in my estimation, a good news story. I think good news stories, Bob, in many ways are those stories that reveal the absurdity of a situation. So I think when we're looking at the uh, the current situation in New York City, I think that is a revealing story of the uh, the current absurdity as it pertains to illegal immigrants. And And while we're at that moment. Uh, let me just cite, I think it was on Monday, that there were 12,600 illegals that crossed, that crossed the border uh, illegally into the United States. And that is just an amazing number, Bob, and uh, uh, hard to understand how that could possibly happen, especially as uh, as uh, the pr- presidential press secretary said, President Biden is taking the border very seriously, and yet 12,600 came through on Monday, Bob.
1: Yeah, no question. And of course, did any of these people come through with the whole idea that I've got to take care of myself, provide food and clothing for myself and my family? I mean, they come over here and with the expectation they're going to take care of They're going to give me food. They're going to be a place to live. That's, it's just wrong. It's well, just... there's
2: no doubt. I mean, statistically, the illegal immigrants are the largest single group that, that can be defined uh, receiving welfare from the government. So uh, this is a, a problem. It was never a problem back in the, let's say, the earlier days of mass immigration at the at turn of the 20th century. Particularly, uh, people had to come in. They had to be able to document. They were going to be either self-supporting uh, by some clear definition or had people in this country who would support them. Uh, that has gone by the boards, of course. Uh, right now, these people come in, and they, uh, they stay, uh, in many cases, nearly permanently on welfare from the time they enter this country, Bob.
1: It's a shame. It's just wrong. So, uh, well, Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around?
2: Okay, Bob, I'll be here. All
1: right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Tuned for more of the Bob Hartman Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: Two thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with forty percent strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America.
0: back to the Bob Hartman Show, and now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. So Andy, uh, any more good news for us?
2: Well, before I forget, let me wish you a Merry Christmas to you and, and certainly to your audience. I, I wanted to do that at the beginning. It just slipped my mind, unfortunately. But, but Merry Christmas, Bob. Oh, thank
1: you so much. And the same to you and your family, Andy.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh, one more sort of a uh, getting back to our point of small stories, maybe turning into giant stories. Uh, recently it came out of uh, the U.K. <coughs> that uh, one of the most dangerous components of uh, uh, of uh, Greenhouse warming gases is in fact derived from human breathing uh, this This study indicated that not only c o two but but essentially they're talking about it, uh, we breathe out methane we also breathe out nitrous oxide, and these are the two far more uh, potent greenhouse gases now again it's I know you laughed I, I laughed myself, uh, but again, I can see these stories over time uh, uh, building into the demand to restrict population and, and so forth. So right. uh, let's, let's see if that goes anywhere. It may not. I hope it doesn't. Uh, but when we're talking almost 8 billion people that are, in fact, the danger to this planet. It's hard to imagine that these crazies on the left would not try to use that in some way to, uh, to diminish population numbers, Bob.
1: I'm scratching my head to figure out how that's good news.
2: <laughs> well, again, my, my general premise in some cases with the good news stories is they expose the idiocy of the left. So, uh, I think that those things, in in my in my view, are are good news stories. Yep. So that's that's how I approach. You it. got it,
1: Dandy. was. But,
2: but you did catch me on that, Bob. Thank you so much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Any other good news, Andy?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, it is, This is a real good news story. None of the none of the nonsense they just went through. And by let, let me not diminish what I said. That was not nonsense. These are stories that may be important. That's right. Uh, but again, the the story in uh, in Texas with uh, Greg Abbott uh, creating a a lot of circumstances for pushback against the uh the uh, the horrible immigration problem that primarily impacts on Texas. Uh, now, this is beginning to resemble the Jan Brewer situation back in, in 2009, I think it was, where she, uh, was, she started to enforce the federal immigration laws that were not being enforced by the federal government. And, of course, Obama came down hard on that at that point And uh, for, uh, for some uh, ungodly reason uh, said that, no, these laws could not be enforced by the state. These are federal laws. Now, right now in Texas, we have uh, Abbott indicating that the local police and state police can, in fact, detain, arrest and detain uh, illegal immigrants and move towards the deportation. Uh, The difference, I think, in in Abbott's situation is he is making it a state law that you cannot cross the Texas border uh, illegally. Uh, so that is a difference, I think, as far as I remember the old Jam Brewer situation uh, that, that Abbott is involved with. But I think when we're looking at incredible numbers crossing the border, yeah. totally disrupting the economies and the, the cultures of, of many local cities in, uh, in, in Texas, uh, I think something has to be done, and I think Greg Abbott uh, is taking actions that uh, hopefully will, will be used before they're shut down by the federal government again, Bob.
1: Well, again, the law is not going to be enforced until uh, the beginning of March. So there is some time, I'm sure, for some challenges from the federal government. I think there will be. And parenthetically, and I don't want to take us off topic, but, you know, Joe Biden is scratching his head trying to figure out why his poll numbers are so low. And you take a look at the economy, uh, illegal immigration, all the issues that right now that he supports, none of which the American people support, maybe should just uh, pay attention. He's a little bit tone deaf, don't you think?
2: Well, again, I don't really think he uh, doesn't understand this. I think he understands it completely. I think his advisors understand it. I think it's, again, always uh, part of the, uh, the big lie that, uh, that uh, dominates the leftist politics. Uh, I think it's the Goebbels big lie that came out of Germany. It's the same type of situation. So I think by repetition, they hope that the American people will be gull enough, gullible enough uh, to believe that there's no inflation, the economy is good, the border is secure. I think that is, that is their premise. But I don't think it's because they don't understand it, Bob. I, uh, I really think they, they quite
1: understand it. Now, great point. Uh, in this segment, I'd like to just get your thoughts on what happened in Colorado and the Supreme Court ruling that Trump must be disqualified from the state's presidential ballot. I really ballot. want
2: to talk about that. Yes, we'll get, we'll get to that when we get back.
1: Well, no, I'm not going to take. Oh, I thought
2: you were going on break. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) That's okay. No, we have a few minutes to talk about that in this in this segment.
2: That that shows how long I've been on the show, Bob. I anticipate the (laughs) break. You know. Uh, yeah, I mean, the situation in Colorado is is one of these uh, absurdities that uh, can't be explained within any degree of rational thought. They, uh, the Colorado Supreme Court, the highest court in Colorado, obviously uh, ruled that the Trump should be removed from the primary ballot and could not ever be on any ballot uh, for the presidential election in 2024. Uh, they based this on his a violation of the the uh, insurrection laws of this country, uh, and that's why he was he was removed. Now, if we look at it, Trump has never been accused of insurrection or charged with insurrection. So they're invoking a standard that is uh, dubious in itself and it 's being applied in a, in a manner that is that is totally inappropriate in the specifics of, of the given, of the given situation now this is a, a premise that has already been inje- rejected by by multiple courts around the nation uh, and essentially it's but it 's invoked by the the Colorado court uh, as if this is uh, a virgin territory in terms of where they 're going no this has been well well challenged, it's been well rejected, and yet they're doing it again. I, uh, it's hard to understand the the reasoning behind it. I, in my estimation, Bob, what they're trying to do is just, uh, you know, put more pressure on the. Uh, the Trump campaign process by uh, by creating distractions and, and and those type of things. This is one of these situations where you have a rare moment where there's uh, some sort of unity uh, in the uh, in the Republican Party. Uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy he he came out strongly uh, uh, in 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 the in the defense of Trump, which we might have expected. But again, this even expe- extended to to Chris Christie
3: yeah. to
2: show how how strongly he this whole act was seen as being. As being totally unacceptable. Uh, now, I think there's a, a call by Ramesh Swamy, and I, I agree with this that all Republican primary uh, candidates should remove themselves voluntarily from the Colo- the Colorado ballot uh, uh, to uh, to to express their indignity indignity about this process of the Supreme Court.
1: Absolutely, and of course, uh, the 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 irony here is that uh, there's no way that Republicans are going to win the nomination (laughs) become uh, win the nomination in Colorado. It's a blue state. So, but the point being, I think Ramaswamy is right. In fact, I think he's called for. Let's just have a caucus like they do in Iowa, and uh, and use that process as opposed opposed to a primary.
2: I think you're right uh, that. Trump would never win the electoral votes in Colorado, primarily because of Boulder and Denver. Uh, the rest of the state is, is fairly well read. Uh, and again, I think by if Trump is not on the ballot, we we can make the point that uh, the coattails that Trump might generate for, for candidates lower in the election process uh, might be a significant impact factor. Yeah. So e- even though I think it won't change the destination of Trump, it might in fact affect candidates that are elsewhere on the ticket, Bob.
1: You know what? That's such an important point. I'm happy you made that point, uh, Andy. And uh, now it's time to take a break. <laughs> can you stick around?
2: I, I don't know if I can. I know I will.
1: I'll All right. <laughs> All right. We're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement?
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics to know the policy. They help prepare elected officials to serve in elected office. And you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here Always on the show. Always
3: good to be here, Bob.
1: So we uh, uh, interrupted our discussion with our break there to when we're talking about the Supreme Court challenge to obstruction charges. Any other thoughts?
2: Well, the we were talking about insurrection before the break. Uh, let's <clears throat> weave that into the Supreme Court taking up the, the issue of the obstruction charges coming out of January 6th. Now, the, uh, the left, I'm referring to the Justice Department as the left, and I think appropriately so, uh, is in fact using a, a 2002 variation of the obstruction law coming out of the old Enron scandal. In the Enron scandal, the, uh, I guess the COO, the CFO of Enron was, was shredding important documents mm. during the course of the Enron investigation. Uh, and essentially that, in fact, created the law uh, about obstruction that is being invoked. Now, even at that time, Senator uh, Biden referred to the new, uh, the new section of that law as making it a crime for document shredding, he was very specific in what that law was about. You could not shred documents in the in the pursuit of of hiding yourself from the from the federal investigation. So that is the law that that is being in, that's being used. Uh, that law is in fact being challenged in the Supreme Court as to whether or not uh, it is valid. The way it's being applied, as best uh, it can be described, I think, Bob, is that almost anything that would Uh, interfere in any way with any governmental proceeding can be determined to be obstruction. Uh, for example, if I was making too much noise outside of the Capitol building during a uh, a, a, a House meeting, uh, uh, that could be described as obstruction. So we've taken this law that was intended to be applied uh, elsewhere for a very specific purpose. It's been broadly applied in other areas with such a broad application uh, that it makes it almost universally applicable to all, to anything that you want to define as obstruction,
1: Bob. It's amazing. I'm just here reflecting, thinking that uh, right now they we're using this lawfare and, again, challenging the uh, ability of uh, Trump to have his name on the ballot. I mean, what, what is the last alternative? They've tried everything. The only thing I can think of is assassination.
2: Well, let's let's yeah. I mean, that's a horrible thought, but yet it certainly is a reality. Let 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 me just back up a second. I wanted to mention something. The federal government is is challenging or will challenge, I'm sure, Abbott in terms of his recent positions on the the border. He's saying that uh, these are federal laws, and yet in Colorado, where they removed Trump from the ballot, they were using federal law to do that at the state level. So here you have another area of, of hypocrisy being exposed by the huh. left, uh, that Abbott cannot enforce federal law, and yet in Colorado they can use a federal law uh, to, uh, to get Trump off off the ballot. So uh, again, an illustration of the left's hypocrisy. Once yeah, that long. is
1: such an interesting observation, Andrew. Thank you for that. So, uh, so, what do you think about the uh, the impact of uh, Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, on the ballot? And uh, well,
2: look, this—I you know, am not going to vote for Robert Kennedy. Well, if if he is the only candidate, other than, uh, than Joe Biden, for some reason, then yeah, I, I certainly would vote for Robert Kennedy. And in many ways, I I like what he says. He—I put him in the same category as Bill Maher. You know, a man that essentially uh, is not of my political uh, frame. Uh, but again, in specific areas, he really comes up very big. Right. Uh, he was a significant pushback against the, the Colorado decision. Uh, he also, in a recent interview, uh, def- def- defended Israel and seriously went, went to bat for Israel's right to defend itself. He totally exposed the, uh, the absurdity of what's going on in, in Gaza and to the Palestinians. Uh, he essentially said, with maybe not using the exact words, that the Palestinian problem is the Palestinian force. False, that they have been given per capita more aid than any country in the, in the, in the world, and yet they're in abject poverty and they, they have food shortages. And, and the answer is, uh, why to that question? Uh, because Hamas uh, uses these funds for other purposes, let's say the, the building of concrete tunnels into, into Israel. So I, I like the way uh, Robert Kennedy, the junior, defends uh, certain legitimate positions. I like his honesty. And I think we need to have more of that kind of hard-hitting, penetrating honesty, Bob.
1: I would agree with that. Although, you know, I agree with everything you said. However, there are some positions that he takes that are just beyond the pale. He, he just cannot be president believing some of the things that he believes. So, uh, but uh, nevertheless, I uh, support his his. Uh, 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 ability to express himself and the things that he says and the things that he's saying about children's vaccines too those things are so important and need to be said
2: yeah i I would back up and just say it's the same thing with bill maher i certainly would not vote for him for president and uh you know i think most of his positions are are unacceptable politically to me uh and i put uh, rfk jr in the same category and yet uh, forget about his candidacy for the presidency for the moment. Just talk about him as a man and yeah you 've cited several of the uh, the, the, the historically uh, important areas that he was involved with, uh, and I think he 's a man that's that 's Worth being a significant part of the American political uh, debate, Bob.
1: I absolutely agree with that, Andy. Before I let you go, any any thoughts about the growing problem on our universities?
2: Uh, as a as a college uh, university professor, I, I I am I am dismayed by what I'm seeing, particularly with Gay at Harvard. Uh, just outrageous! Not only her her plagiarism, her her failure to. Uh, seriously push back against the genocidal comments of of the Harvard students and and by the way i mean her her plagiarism wasn't just one uh, one uh, remote comment from from carol swain it was a series of of plagiarized remarks in her in her Ph.D. dissertation. Uh, this is a, a situation where, which, if it wasn't for a, an African-American woman, if this was a white male, he would have been gone at the first moment that that was even mentioned. I think this it discredits the university system. Uh, and to me, in, in my life, going to college was the best thing that ever happened to me. I think very few people can say that in 2023, Bob.
1: I absolutely agree with that in fact uh, I think college admissions are down college applications are down and for good reason quite frankly uh, uh they've almost uh, in some ways universities a- as a whole have uh, pulled a bud light. Uh, moment, <laughs> actually. Uh.
2: There's no doubt. I, I just, I guess what I'm saying before is I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, I think there's a very important uh, process that colleges <laughs> should be performing, and I, I think it's an essential way of creating a good citizen at its best. Uh, I remember when I first started college, I took a, a freshman-required course in art history and music history. Now, going in there as a 17-year-old Bob, I had no knowledge of these things. I had no awareness. But I'll tell you what, after those courses, I became, I became interested in those things, and I became, they became part of my life. Yeah. And I think we always have to understand that, uh, that college should expand us beyond our parochialism. But that's not what it does now, and I understand that. So, uh, but again, I don't want to dismiss the value of colleges uh, at their best while we attack colleges now and universities now at their very worst, Bob.
1: Again, Andy, just always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday and a wonderful Christmas. Thanks so much for joining us. You too, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got some great guests coming up tomorrow. We're going to visit with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Uh, Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, and I really appreciate your listening, uh tell your friends and uh, that's one of the ways we expand our audience and we do that for our advertisers because uh, we can't do the show without them i hope you make it a great day on the paradise coast or wherever you are namaste
0: thanks so much for listening to the bob Harton show on the bob Harton broadcasting network